Welcome to Marketing Blabs. This podcast is brought to you by Marketing Labs, an expert digital marketing agency based in Nottinghamshire. If you're a business owner or a marketing professional looking for straightforward, non-salesy tips and advice to help grow your business online, then this is the podcast for you. Strap in, because we're about to reveal the things that other agencies would rather you didn't know. and welcome back to another episode of Marketing Blabs. We hope you enjoyed the last blab where we talked about the key ingredients for building a beautiful and safe website. Don't forget to share and subscribe to our channel. It does mean a lot to us. I'm Tom, the Creative Director at Marketing Labs and the host of this podcast. In today's blab, we're going to discuss the important elements of Google Ads and common mistakes that people make and how you can utilize the amazing marketing channel to generate a return on investment for your business. Joining me today on today's blab is Matt Janaway, our CEO. How are you doing, Matt? Hi, Tom. Yeah, I'm fine, thanks. Looking really good in your new marketing lab gilet. Yeah, I like this gilet. Feels nice. Yeah. Nice material. Very nice and soft. Very. We've also got Nick Janaway, our head of digital. How are you doing? Hello, Thomas. You're good. Hmm. Excited for the podcast. Also, yeah, I am, but I'm also wearing the uh, branded hoodie. Brand, <laughs> just to add that in there, <laughs> branded hoodie, yeah they, yeah, they all look good, don't they? Yeah. And all the way from sunny Ipswich is Rich Bloomfield, our paid media manager. How are you doing, Rich? I'm good, thanks. Are you excited for your first pod? Very. <laughs> that, sounded really, that sounded really convincing. <laughs> so I guess we can get started then. And speaking of starting, what about... If we start with budgets in Google Ads, what who wants to kick off with what would make potentially a good starting budget if someone's just starting out with Google Ads? So I think, first of all, if you're starting out on Google Ads, the first thing to consider is that Google very often have welcome intro offers. So um, at the moment, I think it's if you spend £400 in the first month, uh, in month two, they credit you £400. So you basically get your first month um, sort of um, provided to you back. So that's always a good way of testing the water, finding some data, checking how it works for you. In terms of budgets, though, so this is something that I don't really like the term budget. I know Google use it themselves in Google Ads, but I don't particularly like that term because it, for me, that sort of shows that there's a fixed amount you should be spending mm. and you need to be planning for that. And actually, if Google Ads is being run in the right way and there's a return on investment, it's not a budget, it's an investment. If you're putting in £100 and it's generating 500 and you're comfortable with that, that works for your margins, then why wouldn't you put in 200 or 500 or 1,000? So using the term budget, I don't particularly like. Mm. You need to start somewhere, obviously, and you need to make sure it works for you. But um, it should always really be seen as an investment. Do you normally recommend like daily budgets just so people get an idea in terms of that? Or do you go like on a month? That How do you... It's usually implemented based on daily budgets anyway. Mm -hmm. So you'd have by how many campaigns you get set up, depending on your focus, um, what you want to spend on a daily basis. And that usually will add up, obviously, to a, a monthly cost. Mm -hmm. And you can also put caps in place if you want to from a, a monthly point of view. But yeah, it's, it is done based on what you want to spend on a daily basis by default. Yeah, I guess it's about what you were talking about earlier, Rich, actually, in your team lab was understanding the business as well. 
what they want to achieve and obviously everyone's going to have a different starting budget when you're initially speaking to a client how do you sort of scope out what their starting budget would be if they've not told you well it is useful to know what kind of profit margin people have Mm -hmm. and it may be different profit margins and different products so if you have products with quite a high profit margin and they're quite expensive then you can obviously allocate more money to that but I think the key point is it's looking at the return on investment so as Matt said if you're spending a thousand pounds and you're getting ten thousand back why Mm -hmm. not spend two thousand get twenty back but there is always going to be a diminishing return otherwise you just spend millions so but that is the key principle really for me profit margins on products and what kind of target return on spend that the client wants in terms of generating that roi then how and when do you find the the sweet spot as it as it were for within google ads is there a a way of trying to scope that down yeah i mean it differs by by client really and and by industry and uh, by business and what you're selling there are obviously things that you can do to to account for that and obviously experience in in the industry anyway can account for a lot of that but if you if you're new and you don't know really I, I suppose the best advice is to try and focus on what you think is most relevant for your business the, the products that you know you might have an off offline shop for example you might know that xyz products sell better than abc products so therefore it's likely that that will still kind of reflect and transfer to online as well so focusing your business to to what you think is going to do well test the water look at the data and then widen the scope basically so don't start out necessarily with everything because you'll probably spread your budget very thin and if you spread your budget too thin you're not going to learn anything very quickly at all so usually that's probably one of the big ways to waste budget actually in the early days is is to try and target everything and you're just far too broad with your approach so mm-hmm. try try and try and do try and work within your remit but also try and focus on what you believe if you don't have any data to back this up what you believe will do well and then test and learn based on that that approach is and that uh, that 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 in itself is so important test mm. it's it's a small word but it's it's powerful in our world because if you if you're not analyzing everything and testing everything you actually just don't know there's a there's a sweet spot often that you just stumble across. You you have to try lots of things to stumble across them. So it, it's probably a, a little bit unfair to say stumble across a sweet spot. But you might try 10 things. could be 10 product ranges. It could be 10 campaigns. You know, it could be lots of different things. Occasionally, you'll you'll just hit it right. And that might be because there's fewer competitors. It might be because you've stumbled across an audience. Uh, where it's larger and there's a low cost per click. You know, there's lots of reasons why you might stumble across something, but often you'll find a niche. It might be a specific product or, or a product range that actually just really works. Mm. And at that point, that's when you double down. And that's really how you start driving high return on investment because you do that once you've got your first one and you go exploring for your second one. You know, you, you're continually looking for those opportunities and, and eventually you've got 5, 10, 20, 30 you keep going and each one of those niche opportunities is an area where you can generate higher return on advertising spend is there a specific time frame to it all because a lot of clients that we've had conversations with over time is that how long is it going to take before i start seeing that return because you've obviously got a testing period do you normally put any time frames to it it, it can be immediate you know you, you can have almost immediate success it, it really depends on lots of factors 
and also external factors beyond just PPC. Uh, so you know the, the the quality of your website, how fast your website is, how much competition there is in market, how much natural demand there is in market, the seasonality. There could be lots and lots of factors there that will aid or hinder you in terms of your approach. So it, bearing that in mind as well, I think is important. Cost of products again equally will be will be uh, important as part of that kind of formula. So if you've got a really high end product that costs multiple thousands of pounds or, or beyond, it's very likely that the customer is going to take a much longer time to consider and, and go through that kind of consideration phase before they purchase. Whereas if you've got maybe a cheaper product, um, let's say it's in the tens to 100, you know, that might be more of an instant conversion. They might like the idea of it, they'll see it straight away. It might be the first time they've come across your site or product. You know, there might not be much of a consideration period there and they're, they're more or less immediately ready to convert. So it, it really does depend and, and it's quite it can be quite specific to lots of factors. So I think it's something that's really important just to bear that in mind as and when you're kind of developing your test plan. Try to understand as much as you can about what the consumer might be looking for and what information they might need. And, and then, like Matt said, just test. Um, but test within kind of a hypothesis that you are aware of and can control as much as possible. I've got an interesting thought here as well that it's quite a common conversation you might have with people where they'll say, you know, how how long, wh- when can we come back and analyse if this is working? Like, let, let's make an adjustment to a campaign and let's revisit it at some point. People can naturally be quite impatient. I'm very impatient myself. Uh, but at the same point, it's really important to have enough data to make decisions on. And you might have a particular campaign where the collection of keywords, the search volume is only so high. And you might need to run that for sometimes three months, four months before you actually realize how well that's working. But if you've got a campaign where there's much more volume and you know you can get clicks quicker, you'll learn quicker. So there's no real answer to how long that might take. Certainly an awful lot quicker than SEO might be. But at the same point, it sort of is a little bit, you know, how long is a piece of string? I would say to clients as well that they probably need to give at least the first three months uh, a go. And although Nick mentioned about waste, if you have everything, say, in a Google Shopping campaign, you put all your products into a Google Shopping campaign with the same level of bid, that will actually provide you with quite good information. Obviously, if you've got tens of thousands of products and only £1,000 a month, it won't work. But if you've got a reasonable number of products, say say a thousand products and your budget's a couple of thousand, in that first month you'll learn a lot about what is going to sell. But you, you'll waste a lot in the first couple of months as well. And another thing I find is that what the kind of thing that clients want to sell are not the same as what people want to buy. And this will, by putting a very flat bid in your everything Google Shopping campaign, you tend to find out what people want to buy, not what the customer wants to, the uh, client wants to sell. Mm-hmm. The client usually wants to sell the high-end stuff yeah. with a big profit margin. Um, and quite often it's going to be a compromise between putting some of those high-end products in their own group and putting a higher bid on and just accepting a lot of crumbs, crumbs on the table, of things you don't really want to sell but people want to buy. Yeah, I'd highlight this as actually the first mistake that I see quite a lot is is what Rich just said there. You can define it as the tail wagging the dog. Instead of using that those insights on what your audience actually wants to buy, you're trying to dictate to, to them what you want them to buy. Actually, if you find that sp- sweet spot, go with it because there's a big opportunity there to, to make a lot of money. And if you're 
trying to dictate actually what you want to sell. You may well, you know, you, you may well work, but it can sometimes be more difficult. It, generally, if there's higher margins and it's a high value item, you'll have lower conversion rates, higher cost per clicks, and actually it might not work out any better for you anyway. If you hit that sweet spot, just make sure you go with it. You see that quite a lot. And, and I'm not talking specifically actually client work, just generally conversations that you have you know, around social media in, in various digital marketing groups, things like that. It's very common that once something starts working, uh, sometimes it's not, I wouldn't quite say unwanted, but it's not quite as welcome as maybe, oh, can we not focus on, on a different area? But actually you've found that sweet spot. So moving on to actually people managing or finding the sweet spot, I understand, I mean, I'm no Google Ads expert myself. I understand Google have a scoring system. Can anyone explain in simple terms how Google analyzes the campaigns and, and scores the, the, them accordingly? It's done mostly on what what's considered as kind of relevance and relevancy. So how how well can you answer somebody's question when they're searching for something that you want to serve an ad for? Uh, so obviously that's quite a broad response, but obviously there are, there are a huge amount of industries out there that that will kind of cater to that differently. But basically, if if you if you serve an advert to somebody that's looking for something, how well can you answer their questions? And that's what they consider like ad rank that goes into ad rank. So it's things like uh, making sure that you utilize the same keywords or very similar keywords that mean the same thing, improving click through rates and call to actions to make sure people click on your ads and you have um, a good response um, to whatever your advertisement is. And then also and equally importantly is their experience on your website. Uh, or you know whatever, wherever you're landing that customer, that needs to be really relevant as well as uh, targeted to whatever the the intent is behind their search. So if you can match those three things, generally speaking, you'll have a good ad rank, and then then that good ad rank also will in turn in turn help you improve your efficiency across the account. So things like cost per clicks will reduce because you're providing a better experience versus your competitors, for example, and therefore um, you're more likely to um, to to. Uh, earn I suppose that click versus other people in market and then therefore you're more likely to uh, the customers more likely to click on the ad and therefore more likely to make Google some more money so yeah. um, it kind of goes around in a full circle basically but a lot of that is defined by relevance to whatever the customer is looking for so and, an intent as well mm. just so it, you know Nick Nick mentioned intent there twice and actually that's so important because if you imagine you've got a broad uh, keyword match and somebody searches for Adidas trainers your advert might show for Adidas trainers reviews potentially. Now the intent doesn't match. Um, so if you come back to to matching those keywords with the adverts themselves, and then the adverts and the keywords with the landing pages, the intent is much more controlled. And like Nick says, the impact that would have on on quality scores and ad rank is actually pretty huge. Yeah, you can reduce your cost per click massively, but and, and when I say massively, a huge amount. You know, the difference between a, a, a high quality score and a low quality score, you can be paying five, ten times as much per click. Mm. It can make a big difference. You've also got some similar signals to what you would have with with on-page SEO. Um, you know, is the keyword mentioned on the page? Is the page sort of related to the keyword and the advert? It's quite important. So you, you might have it in the title and the header, for example, and the mm. page needs to be about what somebody is searching for. Otherwise, you're going to get lower relevance. So if you've got an ad for a red chair don't send them to a page 
where it's a blue chair. Yeah, and you know what? You see this a lot. Or no chair. Or even yeah, on, or, or just chairs. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Keep it as... Is it better to be specific? Oh, yeah, mm. yeah. And actually, so, so the longer tail you go, generally, uh, long, longer tail meaning sort of more combined keywords, more specific. The longer tail you go, generally, actually, the higher conversion rates you'll have as well. Mm. Um, mostly because if you can match... If, if someone's searching for... So let's use Adidas trainers again as an example. Instead of it just being Adidas trainers, what about if it was red Adidas trainers? you're more specific you're gonna if you show them red adidas trainers you're gonna get a higher conversion rate but if you take that to the next level and say red suede adidas trainers mm -hmm. again it's more specific it's more long tail and your conversion rate will be higher if you match that intent you could even go further you know size eight men's red suede adidas trainers yeah you, know, you can keep classic at you know there's there's so many things you could add into there that are descriptive that would make it more specific what you're doing is you're reducing the volume of people searching that will that will find you and uh, your advert and your product, but actually you're catching them when the intent is much higher and the conversion is much more likely. Mm. Using the uh, example of red Adidas trainers, I think mm. you said, what you can also do is in the site links, which are the little links uh, below the advert, you could add your green and yellow and white trainers in there yeah. to suggest that you've obviously got more than just red adidas trainers you've got a whole range of them i think that tends to improve the click-through rate as well yeah so, so just to throw a spanner in the mix what what if a client or a customer wants to use brand terms but they're terms that not necessarily people are searching for i think that the most important thing to remember is um literally the most important thing to remember is uh, you can only serve an ad if someone's searching for it mm -hmm. so so if you if you want to s create a whole ream of ads based on keywords um, that you think are really suitable to your business if nobody's searching for those keywords you will literally get no impressions like very or very few impressions depending on how Google decide to match so it's a lot of wasted effort basically there's there's kind of um, a, a trade-off really between relevancy and volume so your business might be suitable and how you define your business might be suitable to lots of different areas and different ways that people search for your business that you've not necessarily considered. So it's important to scope out that as well. And, and, and don't just do what you believe your business is, but actually how other people might search or use mm. different search terms to find what you, what you offer. That's the most important thing, isn't it? It's matching those keywords and, and the search terms that people are, are using to, to find what they're looking for in, in search engines matching them with your product instead of the other way around you're not matching your product uh, to people you're matching your website and your pages and your product or your service to what people are looking for mm. um also so uh, you could answer your question in two different ways and i i would naturally answer it the same way nick would answer it but just thinking about it from another angle there are situations sometimes where you'll get um somebody who wants their advert to be more brand involved let's say so somebody might search for red adidas trainer but they might it's a bad example actually because adidas is a brand but but they might want their brand name in the advert when actually it's not particularly always relevant to be in the advert so there, there are situations actually where there's a lot of brands who will want their brand name to be the first bit of text in the advert and actually arguably that doesn't really give people what they want unless it's a branded search term it, it, it depends as well, doesn't it? Because it's multifaceted as well with that. So if, if it's a huge brand, for example, a really well-known brand, um, and an Adidas, again, is probably a good example of this because there's also a lot of trust within that brand. So if, if you're searching for something that's maybe not a brand term related to Adidas, but Adidas is in the title, 
sometimes the reverse of that's true as well. So have, having that recognition and that relevance and that trust there can also help click-through rate, even if it's not relevant to the search term. So it, th there are a huge amount of factors that go into this. Broadly speaking, what Matt said is is right. You know, it's make your ads as relevant as possible, but also take advantage of your own assets. You know, and if you've got a brand that people do trust, that can also be worth testing and, and, and learning about. This is why testing is so important. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm sure as we go through this podcast, there'll be many points where we'll say test. And this is exactly why. So obviously we've talked about relevancy, getting the quality scores right for um, Google itself. Would you say that Google Shopping is a great way to help improve or increase the the chance of getting a return on investment it can be it can it can be a huge part of um, your campaign structure depending on what type of business you operate i suppose so by default they're pmax campaigns now unless you unless you don't want the automation in which case you can have a standard shopping campaign but they can be hugely successful depending on the types of products you sell and how much competition there is in market um so so that can really maximize roi uh, and in, in a really efficient way and also quite cheap from a cost per click point of view depending on again your relevancy to the customer's search or the consumer's search um, but there are some fundamentals really that you need to um, be aware of and maximize as part of google shopping so a lot of this is very data driven and attribute driven so the more information you can put into your attributes the more likely you're going to get your products in front of the right people who are searching with a similar intent for what your product offers or your business offers and and that's critical really there isn't a substitute for that the, the better quality of data you put into the system the more output you'll get so that's absolutely critical and that goes to things like making the product unique as well so um, a lot of what a lot of clients or what a lot of businesses do typically is just use standard default template kind of um, product information so they'll get images of the manufacturer they'll just use five or six bullet points from the manufacturer that are all the same and all of their competitors typically will use as well so really making that product bespoke and specific to how a customer might search for it and then really making um, the content unique and taking your own photography for example is, is a good way of doing that um, really maximizing the look and the feel of, of your site and, and how the product exists on your site, the benefits of that, using reviews, lots and lots of different ways, but really making your product unique is a key thing. And, uh, you know, you can drive a huge amount of return just by just by going through that process and fine-tuning and making it as clear as possible to what for the consumer as to what they're buying. Um, and then obviously a price comes into that as well, depending on how closely priced you are versus your competitors. But the more specific and the more tailored you can make that to a, to to somebody's search intent, the more likely you are to, to to get that booking or get that order at the end of the day. I've I've noticed quite a lot. Manufacturers do not name things very well. Mm. Uh, mm. They're often often have been developed by, I guess, a techie or a scientist who would have given it a very technical name. Mm. They're often American, so they'll use something like you'll call a what we call a trolley, a truck. Yeah. And the number of people who just use the manufacturer's name don't do anything with it when quite clearly that the search volume in the UK will be on a different name. Yeah. Uh, uh, that's a huge advantage. Uh, there's also an issue with um, sort of the user interface of the website in that a lot of people want the products to be called, you know, if it's a similar type of product, they basically all have the same names. Mm. They might be a different color, size, whatever. But if you can persuade people to change the, 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 the title of the product slightly and tweak it, you'll then stand out 
a lot more in Google Shopping because no one else will have bothered or a lot of the time people won't have bothered. So it's a real uh, good way to to appear more than once uh, in Google Shopping or to appear a number of basically the same product but several times and also to appear on the common search term, not just what the manufacturer calls it. Can we call this mistake number two? Mm. So, mm. so I, I would I would label this uniformity. And the reason I'd label it that is I, I see e-commerce websites very frequently clearly use product naming conventions that are uniform. And when somebody's looking at a landing page, they almost look very similar. And they like you need to make a decision. Do you want a pretty website or do you want to make some money? And if you want to make some I, money, I'd like quite a agree. One, <laughs> you would like it. You'd like a website that money, looks please. nice. <laughs> yeah, I, exactly. You'd you'd go with a website that looks nice, but no one sees it. That's true, but at least it still looks nice <laughs> to me. One of the most common mistakes with producing a website is people spend all their money on the website yeah. and they just expect people to come, and it just won't ever happen. No. Yeah. And this is this is the point, isn't it? So using uniformity as a as a common mistake, actually, if you come back to product naming conventions, forget about uniformity. Match your product naming conventions with what people are searching for. The moment you do that, your audience is so much larger. But not only is it larger, chances are you'll be generating much cheaper clicks because people are searching for quite long tail terms and generally there'll be less competition. So you'll get cheaper clicks that are more intent driven, lower down the funnel so they're more likely to convert. And it's a perpetual cycle of improvement. And by the way, when that happens, your quality scores and ad ranks will increase because they're more relevant and, and they're performing better. So it's... It, it's um, there are just so many benefits to doing that. Can I give an example as well? So it's okay just having this conversation and, and just providing words, really. But a great example is we came across a product that was uh, labeled necklace. I mean, that's so broad. What does it even, what's somebody who's searching for that? What do they want to see? And you don't know is the answer. They could be looking for a big gold chain like Ali G might wear. They could be looking for a really sort of, I don't know, delicate Tiffany necklace. You know, they, the the point is you could be looking for anything. Do you have a gold chain just to I don't, jump in? I don't. Do you, Rich? No, I don't. But perhaps I'll buy one from this necklace company. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'd like to just uh, highlight another major mistake. It's a very simple one, is call things what they are. So if you mean blue, don't call it aqua. Yeah. Because no one will search for aqua. If you mean yellow, don't call it sunshine, call it yellow. Yeah. And and then you'll get the search volume. Again, so many people just think, oh, we'll have a lovely name. We won't just go with the flow and call it what it is. We'll call it something else. No one's going to search for it. Mm. Can I give a real-life example as well? Go on. So a long, long time ago, this is this is going back some years, maybe even a decade, me and Rich were working on some specific products, uh, cable protectors, products i know we've mentioned these in an earlier podcast but this is so relevant for this podcast um we the industry called those products cable protectors which by and large a lot of people did call them that when they were searching however there was opportunities for at least 10 other keywords and when we started capitalizing on that all of a sudden the audience is huge but competition declined so you're paying less per click to get a bigger audience and and I think it's a long time ago, but I, I, I'm pretty sure we maybe increased revenue by 
10, 15, 20 times, something like that. Mm. Just just by matching products to what people are searching for. The other mistake there was that the manufacturer calls them internal and external. Joe Public calls them indoor and outdoor. Yeah. It makes such a difference. It's, um, it's It sounds like really simple stuff, doesn't mm, it, really? Yeah. About making things relevant. Mm. I always think in my head from a from a brand perspective i might call a come up with a really quirky funny name not funny but you know what i mean a really quirky name for a product and the the client will, will love that then when it comes round to the to marketing, search, it. marketing <laughs> it people aren't searching for it yeah. so it's from my perspective i see i think oh it's, it's nice to come up with a nice brand term but you can Ideally you can fun. have both though. Like yeah. from from your brand perspective, you can call it something that's meaningful and and relates well to your brand and positions your brand in a you know in a, in a strong and relevant way for your brand. What I guess what we're suggesting is that actually, from a search perspective, that doesn't really mean anything. No. In, until it's found, and it won't be found as long as you're not matching it to the to the user search and their intent. So there there is a there is a best of both worlds though with that. It's just a case of finding what that sweet spot is, mm. making sure your brand's relevant still and, and your products are relevant to your brand, but you market it in a way that actually people are searching for. So so when they are searching and you position yourself in that search space, um, you know you can still retain your brand kind of essence if you want to call it that, but actually you're still matching the customer intent at the same time, and that's that really is what you should be aiming to do. You you want to make your brand stand out, but you also want to find your audience, and and you can't really do either or. And also, what is a brand? Like, if if do you even have a brand if you don't have customers or many customers? Well, the goal of any brand or most brands is performance and and growth, customers. People won't see your brand if you're not being found, and and your brand is defined by your customers. So that evolves over time, and and if you're not being found and you're not generating new customers, your brand doesn't get the opportunity to be seen. So it's uh, for me, brands are actually developed over a period of time. Like Coca-Cola yeah. didn't just become Coca-Cola because someone branded them Coca-Cola. No. It, it evolved over a long period of time based on what their, co- uh, what their audience needs were. And they were providing their customers with what they needed. So actually, it's very difficult to do it the other way around yeah. because you don't know what your customer needs until you start generating those those customers and and evolving with them and and figuring out how best to to match their challenges with your products or services. Yeah, mate, so it's some interesting stuff there, especially with the Google Shopping side of things. I'd like to move on to tracking. What's the best way for customers to track their return on investment, their clicks, whatever it is that they need to track? What's the starting model? Who wants to start on that? Well, you need to have your conversions defined. Mm. Within Ads, you can do that in a few different ways. You can do it based on a pixel, or you can do it based on links to other products, typically Google, but they don't have to be. Then effectively, you want to go through and define all of your conversion events. Um, ultimately, that will be a purchase for, for the vast majority of businesses, at least. But you know, you might also want to have micro-conversion events in there. So you might want to say people who reached a checkout is... A, a conversion event which is smaller than a purchase but it's still potentially valuable data um, you might also want to have like a search in there for example so people have searched for a particular product or you might want to have a phone call or you know there'll be a variety of different things that you could uh, define as an event that's a particular behavior that a lot of your customers are performing that you want to optimize something towards so having a really clear view of what that looks like for your site and what success looks like for your site and then optimizing towards that 
and you know you can do lots and lots of things with with that within ads and other kind of marketing channels but it's really important that you do that specifically for your business uh, because that's where you'll see the most results beyond that though tracking actually is becoming much more difficult now mainly down to two things really um, intelligent tracking prevention which is um, where apple specifically apple but a lot of browsers uh, are also adopting this now is where they don't allow you to be tracked intrusively on your devices which uh, which was a problem to be fair quite a few years ago and the second thing is gdpr which so you have to accept cookies now for example if you don't accept cookies you can't you can't track what the customers might be doing outside of of one session at least um so there's no real answer to that at the minute that's not something that um you know you can resolve um you have to kind of accept that and that means that you will inevitably see some of the data start to disappear over a longer period of time so unless you've got i know we mentioned it earlier but unless you've got um, a business or a product that is uh, more of an immediate purchase you are very likely to lose uh, some understanding of how your customers reach your site and what their consideration process is in before they they eventually get to the point where they can make a um, a purchase so that's going to be very different from across lots of different industries but also lots of different businesses can i add one thing mm. about tracking uh, you're always going to miss a lot of tracking tracking is an underestimate so when we talk about five times return ten times that's an absolute minimum mm. worst case and no what worst case always worst case probably won't call phone calls it certainly won't in, uh, incorporate lifetime value of a customer whose fault is that though well no one can, no one can well you can't really track phone calls because somebody might have looked online and they may well call and there's no connect between the two although there can be in some instances it's not even a technology problem often it's a physics problem like if, if you're on your phone and you're searching for something and then the day after you go on your computer at work and then call them you've got three touch points there that can't talk mm. to each other so you can't track that that's literally impossible to track um mostly impossible to track. There are ways of tracking. And there may also be buying departments within a company. So somebody finds a product they want, they email the buyer and say, can you get that? The, the person buying it has never never searched for it. Yeah. The, the only caveat to that is how complex the, the, the business CDP is, so their kind of data platform. It, in theory, it, it could be possible to track those things, but you'd need to invest a huge, like enormous amount of money in order to get those systems in place. And tiptoe uh, around and GDPR. Potentially, but you, you would also need to make sure that the customers are always signed in, for example. So if, if whenever your customer, as long as they're known to you, obviously, and as long as they create an account on their first exposure to your business, and then whenever they come back to your website or app, or, or potentially even a phone call, depending on what questions you ask during that call. That there are ways of trying to connect those that, in theory, is possible. You still won't get 100% of everybody. You won't you won't be able to identify 100% of users across your site. But when they do log in and they are known to you, in theory, you then you then can start to connect the dots over different exposure sequences, if you like. So however many times they come to your site or your properties that's not this kind of in a, a non-linear kind of fashion so they might come across different months or different devices or whatever it might be mm. and and this is so the technology technology is a problem here as well so as nick highlighted there apple of course google quite a lot of problems gdpr has caused google quite a lot of problems um there's other issues going on but i want to talk about also time lag this is really important for google ads you pay for your click when that click happens but you don't get paid by your customer until a conversion happens. Now, for some lucky businesses where it might be impulse purchase, you might get that the same day. More often than not, that's not going to happen. 
And this is where I want to highlight a, a common mistake number three, because if you trust Google Analytics time lag data, I think the vast majority of accounts might show that the first day click to purchase is most popular. Actually, that's wrong in most cases. The reason it's wrong is this is a technology issue is because when, when a cookie is dropped on somebody's computer, chances are now that cookie might only last 24 hours. If they visit your website a couple of days later, it'll look like a first click again. So it'll look like the cl a click has happened and then a purchase has happened. So that's happening. You've then got there's so many different sort of compounded tracking issues. So absolutely right what Richard's saying is what you're seeing in the data is, is really is worst case scenario. And we've had this conversation many times actually at various points with clients. We have clients who, who just to prove internally to themselves that this is a real issue, have cut their advertising budget entirely and then realize just what kind of impact it has. Occasionally they might cut it by half, but actually their revenue from ads drops by much more than half. <laughs> and at that point they start realizing actually, yeah, there's something going on here where what we're seeing is clearly worst case scenario. Um, just to put a few other things in the mix as well with the kind of things that might impact tracking. Uh, you've got ad blockers, you've got all sorts of things like click fraud, cookies being disabled, offline conversions where you actually can't see the conversion as part of your website. That might be a phone call, might be a form inquiry, so you might see a soft conversion. But even outside of that, if somebody's got a shop, for example, they might find you online, go to your website, look around your products, whatever it might be, and then actually appear in your shop. Mm. And again, there's you can't physically track that very well. Google tried a few years ago as a beta test, and I think that's mostly expiring now. We've, we've seen that dwindle a little bit. But... Um, yeah, tracking's pretty challenging at the moment. GA4 may help with that over time, getting very close now. And this this is maybe another thing, actually, because talking about Google's automations, uh, Rich and Nick will probably expand on this, but Google are uh, trying to introduce uh, machine learning into most of the campaign types in ads, and they're pushing it very hard. That requires a huge amount of data, and actually that data generally works best when you can give events through to Google Ads from GA4. Just a point on that just to expand on it slightly I think as well is absolutely critical that you um, that you try to source different sources of, of data as well so not only should you just trust your Google Analytics and Google Ads data in terms of what revenue it might be producing but look at the holistic data that you have as well so if you count how many people are coming to shops has that increased you know has your footfall increased for, for example your your business centric data that you have so generally speaking has your your revenue gone up across the business it, how does that compare versus previous months does it generally speaking correlate roughly within a month or so of increased ad spend you know there's lots of ways that you can look at data holistically that will provide much greater insights because there is an absence in in direct tracking mm. um, so it's really important just to measure as much as you can uh, and try and keep an open mind as to what the impact of marketing might be. Yeah, it's a bit of a whirlwind, isn't it? Tracking. It is. It could be a podcast in itself. Yeah, maybe. Wouldn't be too exciting that. though. <laughs> no, <laughs> <laughs> don't think many people would find it too interesting. I'd, no. I'd listen to it. <laughs> <laughs> so moving on from tracking, then I've got a little bit of an understanding of what negative keywords are, but you guys will be able to obviously explain it a little bit more. Is that obviously another way? people can increase the return on investment what are negative keywords 
So essentially, a negative keyword is something that's becoming more and more important as Google pushes this automation kind of agenda. Google's pre preference really is to to move to a broad match model, which means they're, they're quite loose with how they serve an ad against a keyword that somebody might be searching for. So the relevancy against that keyword might be quite low, but Google want to increase the number of ads that they're serving for, for each query. They want to make more money. They want to make more money, basically, because the more ads that you have essentially that are being served, the more likely someone is to click an ad and the more space that that can take up on that real estate. Um, and then kind of separate to that as well with the latest announcement over the last few days in, in terms of how Google's moving forward, I, I think you get to, you kind of get to see why they're starting to move down the automation road. Um, we'll probably cover that separately and, and not now. But essentially, um, a broad match, which is a preferred Google kind of position now, um, it is very wide in terms of its scope and relevancy to what the customer is searching for. So you have to control that with what we call negative keywords, which basically is uh, a keyword that you feel is less relevant to the, either a product or a service or whatever it is that you're advertising that doesn't match your ad or the intent of your landing page. But Google believes it might be relevant to what the customer is searching for. So uh, there'll, be, there'll be loads and loads and loads of different examples of this, depending on what your business is. Um, but effectively, anything that you feel isn't relevant, you should try to incorporate as a negative keyword because that will effectively fine tune who you do serve your ads to and therefore make that more relevant, in, in, improve the ad rank and quality scores and ultimately uh, more likely to, to, you know, to find some revenue from that. Mm. So there's Would a problem you... with these as well, by the way. So the first issue here is that generally you'll find these once you've had clicks. When you've had clicks, it's cost you money. Yeah. So historically, what you'd always try to recommend is as many exact match types as possible. So when you're putting in an exact keyword, generally your advert will only show for that, maybe you know, a little bit wider than that now. They've changed the, the, the way that works a little bit. But the problem is, if you're analyzing your negative keywords based on clicks, you've already paid for clicks that weren't relevant. So this comes back to that learning phase again. So you've got a certain amount of time while you're optimizing and while you're removing wastage, let's say, with keywords that aren't relevant. Um, and, and also, can I highlight the next mistake here? Not managing negative keywords is, is the next mistake. If you've got, if you imagine it, a classic example, an, an analogy, if you've got your ads account is a bucket, if you're not doing your negative keywords very regularly, you're leaking. You've got lots of holes in the bucket. I was just about to say, is, is that a mistake that people make, not putting the negatives all in? All the time. Yeah. How often do you see it? Uh, all the time. It, um, I'd say almost exclusively on every... I, I don't think there's a, ever an account you could say is perfectly tuned for negative keywords. It's a very important regular maintenance task to go through your search campaign and look for the negatives. What, mm. what should be a negative keyword? Where you're wasting money? Where Google hasn't quite understood the meaning of the search term mm. matched into your products. Yeah. Um, another thing it's worth mentioning, it's tied in with negative keywords, is if you use exact match, you don't have to bother with negative keywords because as Matt said, you're pretty much getting those exact. Now, if you're, if you're a big, if you've got a big budget or rather you've got a high uh, percentage share of the searches, you can afford to let a bit slip. But if you're if you're in the case of the uh, necklace uh, seller, mm. uh, there are millions of searches for jewelry and necklace. They're a relatively small company. You're far better off just having exact match long tail keywords where mm. you're not going to get any waste. If you're a bigger company, you don't mind a bit of slippage, mm. and you can gradually filter that out. But if you're a small company, it's a it's a big mistake to use broad 
board match keywords. It's just outside a of a learning phase, at least. There might be occasions where early on there might be a learning yeah. phase where you're you're trying you're, you're almost using that data to do your keyword research to a certain degree. Outside of that phase, it is almost a mistake. Now, obviously, in that situation, imagine if that product name was nine carat white gold diamond ladies necklace and that was not an exact match yes the search volume is lower but actually the intent is higher they're much more likely to purchase the cost per click is lower mm. so yeah it makes a big difference to return on advertising spend that yeah. you know the, uh, early on in the the purpose of this podcast and early on we were talking about return on investment that's one of the key ways of increasing return on investment mm. m- removing wastage yeah. It's worth saying, though, that that also depends on your approach to ads, because you might actually want a very broad scope. You know, if, if you are a big business, for example, and you've got hundreds of millions of pounds to spend, you, you might want as much visibility as possible. And therefore, that approach with broad match keywords, and you're not necessarily concerned about the relevancy because you've got a huge budget and you know you're going to shift a lot of product anyway get that product in front of as many people as possible. Actually, that, that can work. But mm. obviously, where, where we're talk- talking about it now, it's more so in the case of uh, maximizing your efficiency and, and ROI. So, But that's important to mention, I think, because you know, mm. th- there, is, there is a sliding scale there in terms of what you're willing to risk versus efficiency. Mm. Um, and the, if you do want a, a broader scope, then it's, it absolutely can work for you as well. So the, you'll get to a certain point where if you've got, if you're maximizing impression share, and you're struggling to find new areas. We're talking here, this is an issue for massive businesses generally. But if, if you're maximizing your audience, uh, actually, sometimes it makes sense at, uh, to go broad because you're trying to capture more people and you're, you're caring slightly less about the return on investment. And what you're trying to achieve really is if you still want to grow and you still want to try to gather more people, more eyes on your product or brand, um, sometimes it might make sense to go broad. Um, but generally, I think for the vast majority of businesses, they they're certainly, they need to be so attuned to their return on advertising spend that actually monitoring those negative keywords and being more exact with their uh, with their keyword types uh, is is going to be more beneficial. Nice. So there you have it from the experts. Get your negative keywords in there. We've touched on briefly about Google automation. Does that mean that people are going to have less control over their ads how's that going to affect things so thinking about negative keywords just we we were just talking about them and just to drop in here um this is certainly one for for rich and nick to answer however one thing i will say is with most of google's machine learning campaign types actually you get much less control and part of that is in in most situations actually you can't even give negative keywords right when you're allowing Google to control these, which you have to, to a certain degree now, yeah, you, you need to give control fully. Why is it that Google are taking control? Money. <laughs> is that what it always comes down to? Well, if Google are in control, the, imagine Google are in control of one ad, one, one ad account. They can control increasing your cost per click higher and higher and higher. You might get to the point where that one advertiser says this is not worth it. But then imagine if they control every advertiser and they increase all of the cost per clicks, who benefits? Mm. Mm. And that's when you come to machine learning, you're, you're handing over that control. It is a worry. And the that, people and who benefit are the big players who've got the deepest products mm. and yeah. can afford the smallest margins. Yeah. That, that's, what it, that's the ultimate goal for, for Google, we have to say it. They want to maximize their profits. So uh, they'll 
they want to attract the people who are not like Nick and myself, who are very careful about how we spend the budget. They want they want the big players who just spray the advertising spend around. Yeah. One of the big things with automation as well isn't isn't just controlling your budget within ads. So tr- typically and and traditionally, ads was you know a text ad within search, for example. You would have a bit of a display element to that. But now and in, increasingly within ads, uh, Google's kind of migrating a lot of their properties into into one platform. So within ads specifically now, you can have video ads on YouTube. You can have shopping ads within across their shopping placements, also within search and image and you've you've then also got image ads on top of that then there's a there's a whole kind of plethora of ads um, that you can now control within within one account and within one campaign specifically which is where google want you to kind of push your efforts into which is pmax which is fully automated yeah so that so that's what google's trying to do with pmax essentially is control and allocate all of your resources and control where that's served but as Matt said, you imagine they're doing that for you, but they're also doing that for all of your competitors, you know, across all industries. So effectively, they're creating this competition set where you are serving more ads to more spaces across all of their platforms, but also you're competing against all of your competitors that are also doing the same. So they're kind of inflating this level of competition across all of the owned owned assets. And it doesn't go down, it goes up. Mm, yeah. like you're, the, you, that competition, all it causes is the cost per clicks to increase as they're chasing impression share and clicks and revenue. But they're all doing it and it's all going up. And there's only one one place it benefits and that is Google. And But if you imagine it from Google's side... Uh, you know, they've got to appease their shareholders. Mm-hmm. You know, they're, they're a massive corporation who's got to appease their shareholders and their shareholders put big pressure on them to continually increase the performance of, of how much money it makes them and the performance of the business. And they generally only have very short-term plans, you know, a year, two years, five years, something like that. Um, this is potentially problematic because over time what will happen to appease those shareholders is google will lose advertisers because then it's not working for them we know we're near that yet in my opinion but at the same point you can see it potentially happening longer term a lot of clients complain over the last few years about the drop in return on investment that literally cannot be helped and i think over time some of the small advertisers will pull out of uh, google ads Mm. As I say, it's kind of a drift towards the people with the biggest pockets. And that might benefit Google for a few years, but eventually the bubble bursts when you've got no advertising. Someone else will pick up the baton. I mean, there's a good example. We always talk about how great Google is on um, technology and AI, but there are lots and lots of settings in the display campaign. And when you set them, you think that's set up beautifully. Then you look at where they've actually put the traffic and... 99% of it is really weak websites. Mm. And now in Pmax, you don't get that control. Mm. You can take it to the next stage as well because those everybody will have seen when they log into an ads account that Google will provide them with recommendations. And generally, those recommendations actually are quite damaging to performance mm. often. Not always. Some of them are logical and, and, and make a bit of sense. But by and large, they're designed to to make Google more money. And and a lot of them are based on, oh, you can get more clicks if you do this. Mm. You can get, you know, you can get more brand imp- awareness, brand awareness, or more impression share. They never mention more revenue. No, <laughs> uh, and you never 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 mention more return on advertising spend. Um, there is a direct correlation between accounts that accept all of Google's recommendations and have an, an a high optimization score with performance 
generally performance is lower if you've got a high optimization score mm. because you're just accepting Google saying, can you give me more money, please? Yeah. Sometimes when you've had an, an everything group in Google Shopping has an incredibly low optimization score, but it's a great ROI. If you imagine you've got 20,000 products and you're paying 10 pence a click, whatever it might be, you can get a lot more clicks than you would normally get because you're paying less. And actually, you don't, it means you can allow a lower conversion rate. And you might only sell you know, one of that product per year. But if you've got 10,000 products, you only sell one of a year. You know, that's you're generating a lot of money from that. So yeah, these catch-all campaigns work again. extremely well. Long tail again. It's worthwhile saying um, that actually automation does have a place as well in some instances. If when when you can control it to to whatever level you can control, uh, which you know we don't know what that will hold in the future. But at the minute, for example, if you want a PMAC shopping campaign, you can just not add assets for the other stuff and only add your shopping uh, feed. So uh, and 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 actually doing that can be valuable still depending on the, the quality of the data and the volume of data that you can provide Google if you get if you get it right and you tick the boxes it can work very very well yeah, yeah. let's so, not forget so that. it's not always yeah. a negative it no. is broadly speaking because I guess we like control of what yeah. we want to do it is a negative thing for us but actually there are some positives as well mm. some campaigns some Pmax campaigns uh, it, it's if there's volume there and data and there's plenty to learn at the end of the day it's machine learning and AI if there's enough data for it to learn on, they can actually work extremely well. There are, there are some PMAX campaigns that we manage where the return on investment is quite ludicrous. So they can work well, but they can also work badly if there's not enough data and not enough search volume. So there's lots lots to learn there from what we've discussed. A big a big talking point, I guess, for this for this blab would be to determine how utilizing organic SEO techniques alongside Google Ads can really help? Should we do both? Should we do one or the other? It's probably one of the most common questions we get asked early on in conversations with people who inquire with us. You know, do I do SEO? Do I do ads? Do I do both? If you can afford it, absolutely do both. Because this is a this is a classic. Me and Richard have, have been talking about this for a long, long, long time. And maybe 10, 12 years ago, Richard coined the term one plus one equals three. And it sounds ridiculous, but actually there's so much sense in it. And I'll let Rich explain. Yes, well, one plus one equals three. It's not my bad maths. Um, <laughs> it's actually, so if you have um, your organic listing, you have your Google shopping listings, you've got your search listings, you're actually, potentially, you're blocking out quite a large part of the search engine results page. So you look like you're bigger than you actually are because you're blocking out a lot of the competition. So it, it, if you just had ads, it's, it's good. If you just if you were organically there without ads, good. But if you have, you know, you're blocking out all that real estate, it's very, very powerful. People will think you're the main player. And also, there's, there's actually a really good reason why one plus one doesn't equal three as well. So slightly separately to that, that's such an important point. Saturating that search results page is so important. But actually, one search... If, if, if a keyword has uh, 1,000 searches a month, not all 1,000 of those are one-click searches. The vast majority of those will click multiple results. So actually, you're getting a second bite at the cherry. And if, you, if you're appearing there twice, you'd ch good chance you'll get clicked twice. So you're, you're appearing more dominant and you're getting more of that pie, if you like. Um, but also, so this is the other thing as well, which is quite interesting. So 
ads generally, the average click-through rates for ads are anywhere between two and five percent. There are some ads that will get more than that, but generally two to five percent. Organic is anywhere between twenty-five and thirty, sometimes thirty-five percent. So there's there's potentially between five and ten times as many people that click organic results. But the interesting thing is actually the people who click organic results actually tend to avoid ads. The people who click ads will also click organic results. So again, one plus one doesn't always equal two there. You, there's, there's, there's a certain, and every keyword will be different, but there's a certain level of actually benefiting from having that saturation. What is one plus one? Two. Thanks. I'm, I'm <laughs> going <laughs> three. I got confused with all of that. Is it three? <laughs> it's definitely three in this case. Anyway. SEO and ads, it's three. I think you stick to colours, don't you? <laughs> I think I will stick to colours. I'm, I'm listening to you guys talk about search marketing and thinking, I'm glad I designed stuff. So the other the other thing that we've not mentioned, uh, which is a slightly different strategy, and obviously Rich and Matt have there have been talking about um, kind of share of real estate, if you like, on, on the top of the search results. Actually, if you're not there, it's a great opportunity to make sure your ad is and you can put yourself in, in front of that customer because SEO, it, it doesn't always mean you're going to be appearing at the top of, of Google effectively. So even if you're on the first page, probably five times out of 10, someone's going to scroll down to the bottom of that. Usually those people will be looking at the first five results and typically the first two results. So just having an ad there when you're not present in SEO can be really valuable. Mm -hmm. uh, so so thinking about kind of where you're lacking from an SEO perspective, mm -hmm. then supplementing that with ads can be also very beneficial as long as it's relevant to your business. That's a good example of one plus naught equals two. <laughs> so you worked in finance, Rich. Now, now I'm completely gone. I think I think it's completely gone. The main conversation that I have with people is SEO takes a long time, or yeah. certainly longer than ads. Ads will have a quick impact, mm. or can have a quick impact. It's certainly quicker. Yeah, exactly. And SEO is going to be a longer, long-term strategy. So you always say, "When should I start SEO?" Yesterday. Yeah, for sure. The sooner you start that long-term strategy, the better. Mm. And while that's building, why not get the data from ads and benefit from a return on investment? So the, there's another reason that's vital. So imagine you've got ads data quickly saying a particular keyword is working incredibly well for you. It's not that competitive. It's generating a really nice conversion rate, nice average order value. That's gold dust for SEO. Imagine having that at the st that knowledge at the start of any SEO campaign, knowing exactly the keywords that you can focus on to drive lots of return on investment. So that's another reason why one plus one equals five now. And there's another one because uh, to do a stock control, if a company has a big stock of a particular product that they haven't been able to get rid of, you can switch ads on, you can target that product. And conversely, if they've done well on something and, and sell out or close or very low stock, you can switch the ads off. Mm. Very good for mm. much more difficult control. to do organically as yeah. well. So if you're running them both side by side, you can control mm. demand. Awesome. Six. One plus one equals six. I think we've come to the end where one plus one is definitely two, but in Marketing Blab's terms, it is seven <laughs> or six, I've lost them. But anyway, thank you all for being on. We can make a seven if you like. <laughs> yeah, we can no, keep going. No, we'll, I've got we'll, many more. We'll leave it. It's for another pod. And that's a wrap for today's Blab. Thank you, everybody, for listening. This episode provided you with the valuable insights to help you get the most out of your Google Ads campaigns. 
we demystified the world of Google Ads, covering everything from setting realistic budgets to optimise your campaigns for better return on investment. We highlighted the importance of quality scores, negative keywords and the growing reliance on automation in Google Ads platform. We also touched on Google Shopping as an e-commerce powerhouse and the significance of tracking your overall ad performance. We've also, across all of those, covered common mistakes that people make and how we can help you not make those mistakes. We addressed finally the ongoing SEO versus ads debate, emphasizing the benefits of combining both strategies for online success. I'm not quite sure what the formula is, but one plus one is probably six or seven, something like that. Remember, Google Ads can be a powerful tool for businesses when used effectively. So take the time to learn, experiment, and optimize your campaigns to get the best results possible. If you enjoyed this podcast, be sure to subscribe to Marketing Blabs on Spotify so you don't miss future episodes. And if you have any questions or comments about today's discussion, we'd love to hear from you. Feel free to drop us a message on our social media or email ask at marketinglabs.co.uk. Thank you again for joining us on today's Blab. And until next time, happy Google Adsing. Adsing.